0: And, of course, my stylist pipes in and says, well, you know, it's funny because, you know, one of my closest friends is the undersecretary of the Smithsonian. (laughs) So, (laughs) it's like, I'm sorry, what?
1: (laughs) Hey, hey, Brian Miller here, and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. Today's guest is Zakia Liski. The event program manager for Innova Heart and Vascular Institute. I met Zakia just last year when she hired me to speak at Innova's third patient experience conference. We connected instantly, but as you'll soon find out, she seems to do that with almost everyone. In this episode, we discuss the difference between event planning and event managing, the importance of working with and hiring the right people, and of course, Zakia shares her story of a chance encounter with lasting impact. And truly, it is an epic tale. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. All right, Zakia, thank you so much for being here with me today.
0: Absolutely. I'm happy to be here with you.
1: Your official job title is, is it event program manager? Correct. Right. So I want to start with can you help us understand the difference between event planning and event managing? Because I think that's commonly misunderstood. And I'm sure I could use a clarification and so could everybody.
0: Right, absolutely. Um, event planner, I mean, it's not a. There are, of course, there's a lot of overlap, but an event planner can sometimes be also more of a coordinator level. Um, event planner can also be well, we don't like to say wedding planner, but that's <laughs> sometimes those things can be a little bit more broad. Uh, event management is more the big picture having to do with not only logistics, but also strategic planning, event planning as far as the business goals and strategy, uh, long term, short term, uh, managing teams and so forth. Because I, I used to plan events, but I wasn't really necessarily in charge of the event or managing staff or uh, coming up with uh, strategic initiatives for programs and things of that nature. So I think the, my opinion is that uh, the main difference is just the scope of the work that you're doing. And also event management has to do a lot with really, really being more of a master of the best practices in the industry of events management and meeting management.
1: Yeah. Best practices in the industry. Like, can you give me an example of that?
0: Sure. For example, uh, what is the? What are some of the best ways to communicate with your guests, or attendees, your audience? Uh, just having a good knowledge and grasp of what are the best methods, or effective methods, uh, in terms of communicating and just really getting the message and the business goals across to the attendees, and knowing what, the, no, letting sure the the attendees know what they're going to expect. So that's pretty key.
1: So. You did have a background in, you said, you were doing event planning at one point, and then you ended up switching over. Is that a common thing for people to switch from one to the other? Is it a track that, uh, you know, you, is that a climb the ladder kind of thing, or are they just really just two different components of the same industry?
0: I believe they're two different components of the same industry. I mean, honestly, some people don't, like you were saying, don't really know the difference or don't understand the difference, and then it's up to the organization to really structure that in the appropriate way, which is not always known. I mean, sometimes people just kind of go with titles, and then really, honestly, may not be sure what what exactly should be the exact title. I've had that experience many times with different organizations. So it really has to do with the organizational structure of it. For me, I sort of negotiated that title, because I've already been a corporate meeting planner. I went from corporate meeting planner to event program manager. An event program manager should be one of leadership. So that's the, also the key component there of event management is there's the leadership component. Um, you can be event planner without being leader. Um, so that's what I really wanted to take that next step to do.
1: Uh, okay. So that that makes sense to me. Now that I'm thinking about it, The the planner is to a certain degree, the, the smaller details. And, and you said wedding planner and that, I think that for me, cause I just got married a few years ago, made a lot of sense. Our,
0: right. Our, Most our, people are familiar our, with the wedding planners. That's why I use that example.
1: Yeah, no, it's great because our, our wedding planner did not manage our wedding. Not, not really, not in the grant. We, we kind of managed our own wedding, but we, our event planner handled the, the smaller details. And and then Maybe, maybe on the actual day of they they may have shifted a little bit into what you're talking about, they did actually do a, a, a- quite a good job of, of kind of moving people from here to there when, when we were busy dealing with the things that we were, uh, we were doing. So as an event manager, what do you love most about it? You hinted at at leadership being the thing that you kind of almost, you, you negotiated for, you wanted this title to take a leadership role. What, what about the leadership role do you really enjoy?
0: Primarily my favorite thing as you've seen in in person is, uh, site operations and uh, and management uh, meaning the on site being on site and being the point of contact really for all the vendors, the client, the customer, the attendees. Uh, really being responsible for bringing the entire uh, event together. That's what I love doing the most, and just that also involves not just sitting behind a computer. Obviously, you know you have to be out on the floor and inter- interacting with people, and that's what I do best. So I'm def- always always the troubleshooter as well, and you know handling any kind of challenges or problems that come across is what I like to do.
1: Yeah. I definitely don't see you as somebody who's just sitting behind a desk. I mean, I don't think I saw you sitting the entire <laughs> exactly. conference when, when exactly. we met and maybe for the listener, you know, uh, we met, uh, a, just under a year ago. It Correct. was, yeah, it was, it was about a year ago actually. Yeah, about, uh, it was in
0: February. So yeah, just about a year.
1: Yeah. And it was a a one-day conference for the organization you're currently employed by, which is Innova Heart and Vascular Institute. Correct. Yep. Is that was that relatively new position for you when we when we met?
0: Um, it had only been a little over a year that I was in that position at that time. So yes, it was okay. pretty new.
1: I, I was looking into your I was gonna say digging, but I I'm not a journalist. My digging involved looking at your LinkedIn page. Absolutely. I, I was looking at your LinkedIn page and I saw that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw that you have previously worked with or worked for Volkswagen, the Smithsonian, and NASA. Is that true?
0: Correct. Yes. Absolutely.
1: Okay. <laughs> so I have so many questions. <laughs>
0: of course. That, you do.
1: First of all, that's an incredible resume. Well, thanks. Um, do you, as a as an event manager, so far, I haven't heard you uh, really allude to. you you talked about the general business goals and kind of the big picture and the logistics in terms of planning events for all these different types of organizations, how much do you actually need to learn about the field of the organization that you work for to successfully manage these events? Like, like at this point, are you like an expert in cars, art and space?
0: (laughs) Wow. I mean, you make me sound incredible, but, (laughs) but but basically, I mean, you know, honestly, it really is important because I've actually worked for other you know other places as well but i had a i'll say this and i first started off at smithsonian i had a which kind of leads to the first mini story i want to tell you but i started out uh you know really studying the arts and you know and i studied i studied french and so that therefore you study the arts and history which then led to the museums you know so obviously it's linked together so that's where i started out in smithsonian um so that was more of an interest rather than me just learning about um, art or something like that. Like I kind of knew something about art and history so to begin with, so, which was a nice out-of-college uh, experience. So mm-hmm. then, you know, the answer to your question is, I mean, honestly, I think it's more important to really understand the, well, obviously the business goals, the look and feel, the culture of an organization to really be able to effectively produce uh, an event for them. Now, am I an expert? Absolutely not. But I can tell you what you shouldn't do, what uh, what which what, how things should not look, you know, <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I'm not an expert on cars, but I know, for example, I mean, I know the technical details, but, but for example, if I wanted to display a vehicle outside of a hotel, I can tell you that it needs to be set up a certain way and it has to be a specific vendor that has to do that. Do I know specifically what those ways are? No. But I can tell you that you can't just, drive an Audi up and just let it sit there. It has to be uh, <laughs> literally, the wheels have to be turned a certain way with the logo and everything. Uh, the ring's showing the right way. It has to be cleaned a certain way. All those things that, you know, I didn't have to do technically, but I knew they had to be done, for example.
1: That feels like the onboarding process in a new, because, you know, I mean right. Volkswagen, Smithsonian, NASA, Innova, you know, healthcare, all these different things are I mean, these are different industries. Very and I was like, different. you can't possibly have a background in all these things. And so... <laughs> I do the- not.
0: I mean, for example, NASA was specifically... Well, it's obviously very specific. But, uh, you know, it's, I didn't learn a whole lot about space. But I did get to go on site at different space centers and get these inside tours that other people don't get. And, you know, just being in the environment of those those individuals and scientists and engineers and so forth... It just really helps you get the sense of the feel and the culture, which is what you really need to do in order to successfully, you know, plan and manage an event for them. So that
1: that makes sense to me, because as a speaker, you know, I I my background is magic, you know, so I'm I'm literally never speaking to my own industry. I mean, right. I don't get exactly. hired to talk to groups of magicians. I I talk to all these like, you know, healthcare. I don't know anything about healthcare apart from being a patient and occasionally seeing doctors. You know, I don't, I, you know, spoke at the Utah Correctional Association for their annual conference a couple of years ago. I know literally the opposite of anything about that industry. And so it, it actually, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me, which is for each of those organizations, you know, whenever I'm brought into a different industry, my first goal is to talk with the client uh, and right. and really more than anything, get them to talk to me, ask the right questions to let them open up and kind of share what they're looking for and their vision is. And then, you know, I ask them for some additional resources, anything that's kind of current going on, any buzzwords I ought to hit or I ought to avoid just, I just need a general scope of what they're working with so that I can take my expertise and kind of meld it into what, what uh, they're looking for. Is that, is that. Yes. Is that what it feels like?
0: Exactly. And that brings us back to the best practices is that a event manager has to know what those right questions are on that checklist when you're meeting with having that first initial meeting with the client. You know, you have to know what to ask of you. <laughs> and that's part of the best practices, you know, we really have to know like, hey, for example, show me your logo, show me some of your printed materials and your design and marketing and show me, you know, tell me what the look and feel is that you're looking for. What level of service are you looking for? I mean, those are, you know, in catering and audiovisual, what are the expectations and all those details that you mentioned earlier, that a planner should really know (laughs) all those details. And and that's how you get up to being an event manager. It's it's like one step after the other. So it's a lot of details, (laughs) (laughs) as you know.
1: (laughs) I Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't even, well, I can imagine because I spend, you know, half my life with, you know, working with, People in you know your shoes at at different organizations and different events, and usually someone in your shoes is actually my my point of contact. It's not the CEO or the person who's theoretically throwing the event or signing the check. I rarely have a lot of time with them. Um, and like, do you have a proudest moment in in your career and in events, whether it was planning or managing? Is there something that like you pulled off or you weren't sure it was going to work, and you were like that? You know, you just think back and you go, "Oh yeah, that was a good day."
0: I mean, honestly, you know, the event that I did with you went really well. <laughs> to be honest,
1: it really did, though. So, it really because did. Because
0: I and I'll say the reason why I wasn't sure is because I really kind of did it on my own at that time. Um, I really we we don't really have a, a events team, so to speak. So I really was kind of doing that on my all my own, and not without a lot of input. From leadership, or you know, of course, they helped me in terms of who should be there and who should be invited and so forth. But I really kind of did it all on my own, so I was really hoping that it would translate. You know, my efforts would translate into a successful uh, program, which it did. And uh, just the feedback that we got from the attendees was fantastic, and um, and from my VP as well, she was very pleased with it. So that was one that I really wasn't sure about, just because I kind of did it all on my own. Which I've done projects on my own before, but that was kind of a bigger project that I did on my own. So. Worked out quite well because I feel like the impact of the speakers and especially, for example, you connecting with the attendees and so forth uh, really made a difference and impact into the daily lives of the staff, which which is the ultimate goal for that particular program.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, and, it, and it really, you know, I, I'm i not pandering and I have no reason to be at this point. Like we don't have anything, uh, you know, coming up, working together or anything like it. I think I, you know, I, I told you after the event, I think I told you back then, like that was one of the smoothest like one day conferences because there's so often they're just chaos, you right, know, behind right. the scenes. Like sometimes, like like a lot of times the chaos doesn't translate, uh, right. you know, but it's still nice when it's not chaos behind the scenes. And it was just like really smooth in front of, of the audience and, uh, and behind the scenes. And I, I really, I was really impressed actually with, uh, how nicely the panel sessions went. And I think oh, that every, all the speakers that I met at, at that conference, I've stayed, I've been in touch with or stayed in touch with most of them, which really? I is okay. almost great. never true. <laughs> awesome. Um, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, it was great. It was a great, uh, you know, and that's also
0: part of best practices is the research component of uh, you know, planning an event, who should be the speakers and, you know, how will they relate to each other? Will it flow well? And, you know, that's another, yet yeah, another <laughs> step. is about, I think, 12 steps altogether in, in total for the event management. But that is one other key thing. You know, you, you can have a great event, but if you don't have the right people there, uh, then it doesn't really work.
1: I, I have to say, you know, from the moment that we met, you know, kind of the day before the dress rehearsal and stuff, you you lit up, the room, you know, you were bubbly and you were cheery the whole time. And my question is, does that come naturally? Or did you develop that ability through your career from, from, is that something that you learned? That's a learned? great
0: question. Um, my mother would say that it came naturally <laughs> 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 some from the time of when I was a baby. But um, so I would say it's partly personality, definitely for me being in this industry meetings and events i've found that you are there are certain this personality types especially when it comes to sales event management and things like that we are a certain type we we are usually outgoing we're not afraid to talk to people we're trying to be upbeat and uh, have some energy and that's partly i think natural for my personality but at the same time, uh, it is something that I feel like that for those who, do- who doesn't come naturally, it is kind of a honed skill. And either Even for me, it's a honed skill because you have to learn how to really well, – I have a natural skill of reading people, but you have to apply it to those uh, best practices. I mean, I know when to back off. I know when not to be so talkative. I know when not to be, you know – actually too engaging because some people just want to be kind of left alone a little bit mm-hmm. so you have to really be able to gauge that and that's also part of listening and uh, really understanding your client and understanding you know your sponsors your speakers all the different people that you have to work with and you know I, I can get a good feel of communication and, and here we go communication <laughs> I mean yeah. you, know, you should have had you know some communication with them before before they arrive and you, I can really sense okay this person, Needs this type of needs me to engage with them in a particular way, and I'm going to do it that way. Uh, And that's how I function. I can't speak for everyone, but that's just how I am.
1: On that note, that's a perfect transition here because you know the theme of this show is chance encounters, lasting impact. It's on recognizing the kind of the ripple effects that our daily interactions that often we we can't realize until well later, well after the fact, and you know you've been dancing around the whole conversation here uh, about, you know, those kind of the ability to read people and connect with them. And, and I really liked what you just said about you treat people, different people differently, treat different people differently. That, that just because you are naturally bubbly and you've learned how to be super outgoing or you are naturally outgoing, some people need you to not be like that. And part of your job is, is to, treat them to, to interact with them, to engage with them the way they want to be engaged with, not the way you want to engage with them.
0: Correct. That is,
1: that is, I think so many people in so many fields, plus our personal lives don't realize how, how incredibly important that skill is. So I want to ask, you know, do you have a story uh, or more than one story of, you know, uh, a chance encounter that really stood out?
0: I'm going to start with the professional one. I have a professional one and a personal one. The professional one kind of leads back to Smithsonian where it's a quick one. But literally, uh, you know, when I was in high school, uh, I had this particular uh, hairstylist, you know, that I went to all the time is that I knew, Uh, you know, go every, you know, so often. And she happened to be uh, friends with not even necessarily colleagues, but just friends with the undersecretary of the Smithsonian. So here I am sitting in the, you know, the stylist chair there. And, you know, my mom is going on, we're talking about how I just graduated, you know, from college, and I'm in the arts and he His, studied history and so forth, and I studied abroad in France and et cetera, et cetera. And my mom pipes in saying, oh, yeah, we're looking, you know, for to get her a job, uh, you know, professional job soon. And, of course, my stylist pipes in and says, well, you know, it's funny because, you know, my, one of my closest friends is the undersecretary of the Smithsonian. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like... I'm sorry, what? (laughs) For people who may not know, that's like sort of like the vice president of the Smithsonian. (laughs) So that's sort of, you know, that's a big deal. I was like, wow, okay. So I thought, wow, that's a coincidence. So, you know, literally, that's how I got my first job, honestly, like, literally, I went and, uh, you know, I hadn't, thankfully, my mother had well-trained me into uh, working and priming me for <laughs> full-time professional work so I had some experiences I had worked at the National Women of Museum in the Arts volunteering there I'd worked at the French Alliance of Washington and you know you know I'd done diff- some things that to give me sort of a head start into being even qualified to work at the Smithsonian in the first place so uh, thanks to her for that <laughs> so <laughs> instead of me just sitting around in the summer times right um, so that was one example of literally. I went and had a meeting with the undersecretary. We had a great meeting, and she recommended me for a job in the in the uh, development department, uh, which is you know, fundraising and development. Uh, so, because I at the time I wanted to be a journalist, I thought I wanted to be a writer and all of that. So, mm. you know, public relations and all that stuff. So that's what I started off doing. So that's one example of. Really, just That's, a chance to counter on that
1: that I think that actually is one of the more epic stories okay. that has showed up on on the this season uh so many of the stories are actually what I imagined you know they would be you know little things that were meaningful, per, you know, personally meaningful that maybe it wouldn't have looked meaningful from the outside, but were for whatever reason. But like that, I mean, that, that's a, that's crazy.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, it's obviously wasn't what I was expecting. I mean, I'm just getting my hair done. I mean, there's nothing else, nothing yeah. really going on here. I didn't have to work in particular to get that uh, opportunity. No, I, was but- de- I was definitely qualified for it, but I, you know, just so happy right, to. but,
1: but i ha- i i always have to say sometimes i think about you know those those kind of moments um and i think wow that was lucky and it's like well yeah of course it was lucky that you were in there at that time and having that conversation out loud of course it was but i always have to come back and say this the woman the the sty- was it the stylist that said her friend yes, was the vp correct. she she would never have said that if she didn't at least implicitly trust you right. or she knew trust for you me your mom. So,
0: you know, least... right.
1: Right. So that, that moment is not just luck. It's True. like, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's years. It was years of building a relationship. And then when the, when an opportunity presented itself, you were there, you were ready for it. I always think of this, uh, this song by Livingston Taylor, James Taylor's younger brother, he, he said, in, he said one time and uh, I've seen him live a few times and he said something that just blew my mind once he said, it's sad to be ready and not be called, but it's mm. tragic to be called and not be ready. Right. The fact that you were ready for it and then years down the line, that opportunity presented is just, that's awesome. You, you said you have another story, uh, a personal one. I do. One. It
0: is Please. sort of a, more of a or paths crossing <laughs> sort of uh, mm-hmm. sort of story. So once upon a time, <laughs> there was a girl. Um, so, okay, when I was in the, well, first of all, in the eighth grade, and my school went six, seven, eight, and then you go to high school in ninth grade. I know everybody has different types of schools. So when I went to, I was in eighth grade, my mom got a new job in another town, another city. And I had to move in the middle of eighth grade, which was so not great. <laughs> so that was really tough. You know, uh, because those are the people that basically all my friends I went to elementary and middle school with. So I really, those were all my friends. So I had to leave all of that um, and go to a new town. So uh, that was already a challenge. Uh, and so one of the people at my old school said, hey, when you get to this new school, please look up this person. Uh, her name is Pam. And I said, OK, Because I was kind of actually, believe it or not, a little bit shy, shyer back then. I really wasn't as outgoing as I am now. So that made me feel a little bit better that I maybe would meet one person that I could be friends with perhaps never know but I went there and I did end up being basically inseparable with this person <laughs> with Pam so that was you know back in, in middle school it could kind of go any kind of way you could either meet the person and connect with them or not or maybe be friends for a little while or something like that so it turns out I'll just say to this point in in the day in today we are still friends so I'll just start with that. But Pam, uh, you know, we, we connected on a kind of a deeper level. We were spent so much for at least three or four years, we spent pretty much all our time together. Go on to say that after a th- senior year, we kind of lost, not lost, lost touch, but kind of lost interest, meaning we had different interests. Uh, so we did different things. So therefore, when you're doing different things, when you're younger, you kind of don't really hang out necessarily uh so we kind of drifted apart and it was about maybe six years that I didn't talk to her at all I didn't know where she was we lost touch um which was kind of saddening actually um I really always missed her I felt like there was this pull this energy where I really missed her and it wasn't just oh I miss her it was like something needs to happen because this isn't working you know uh -hmm. I need to connect with her so I would keep looking for her not find her keep looking for her Then one day, I was basically forced to go, (laughs) coerced, I'll say it that way, by one of my other friends to go to this new mall during Christmas time. Now, Brian, now you know, I I really don't like going to the mall during Christmas time and Christmas shopping. It's really not my favorite thing. But it was a new mall um, at the time in the area. And she told me, she asked me about five times and four times I said no. But... (laughs) But she, the fifth time she said, okay, I, I said, fine, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. So I'm walking along in the mall. And there and behold, I see Pam, hmm. who I I just could not believe my eyes. I got, became overwhelmed with emotion. I, I was extremely happy. You know, I I just couldn't believe it. I'm seeing her and I'd randomly, because in the mall. So, but the point is, you know, there was a person that, she had been friends with ever since she and I met, which was named Jay. Jay and I, during high school and so forth, always were friendly, or he would say hello, or, you know, just really casual, nothing. We weren't really close friends, but we were always uh, made a connection or seemed to have good conversations. Um, She was still friends with him at that time. So what happened was Pam, after I met her in the mall that day, we kept in touch about mm, over email, snail mail back in the day. An email um, you know over the next couple of years and she eventually had been moving around she eventually moved back to this area and she said hey come to my birthday party i said okay so i go to her birthday party and this guy jay is there so i say all right that's interesting i haven't seen this person since high school so at this point's about i have mean, almost eight years almost eight years since high school so i said okay cool so we actually just clicked like he and I just clicked. We were fast friends. What happened was Jay said, hey, why don't you come and and see my new band? Uh, you know, I am I'm started this new band. He's a musician. He's a bass player. So I said, okay, cool. And I went there. And it, it so happened that uh, this, this music I never re- wasn't really into. I didn't know much about it. It was basically metal, which is not heavy metal. I mean, it's heavy metal, but not death metal, but just heavy metal. So I'm a rock and roll girl. So I'm like, okay, I can kind of be down with this. So so I kind of went there and had some fun. And it just so happened that I really did like this band a lot. Like, I didn't think I was going to really... I was just being polite, saying, oh, "I'll come to your show, you know. There was this guy sort of in the audience uh, during these shows that I kept kind of running into. We would sing certain songs together after after I got to know the songs or dance together and I kind of felt a really really strong connection with this person because I was like I don't really know him though I mean I just kind of see him every so often maybe once every six months or so over a couple of years so what happens is basically (laughs) this guy Edward is my husband now (laughs) So, (laughs) so that just to me always blew my mind of sort of the path that had to happen for me to really even meet Edward I mean there was a lot of ways that that was not going to happen through <laughs> someone that I didn't. He wasn't even really in contact with for a long time, eventually met my future husband. That just seems a little bit odd, but uh, I just thought that was an interesting uh, it's, story.
1: It's in, it's incredible. And, and to, to me, the theme that I'm hearing that in that entire story is your willingness even reluctantly to get out of your own comfort zone has served you well over and over and over again. I mean, well, you were, <laughs> you were discussing, you know, being, um, kind of a shy, uh, kid and, and stepping outside your comfort zone to make a friend. And then you got dragged to the mall against your role, but you, you didn't want to be at the mall. Uh, but you decided fine. And so you decided to take that little leap of faith and go to the mall anyway. And then you decided to go see a band that you weren't really going to be into, or at least you didn't think you would be. I mean, just your willingness to, to take a chance on something having, you know, even if it's something you don't think you're going to enjoy, what a, what a great, I want to call it a skill. I, I don't, I don't know what to call that, You know, that's, I I I feel like you really took it to heart.
0: Thank you for bringing that up.
1: (laughs) I mean, it feels like somewhere in your childhood, a motivational speaker said, get out of your comfort zone. (laughs) And somewhere subconsciously, you're like, all right. And
0: uh, (laughs) (laughs) I tell you, it's kind of interesting. Uh, And, you know, it's kind of a good reminder because as you get older, you tend to do less of that. (laughs) So, yeah. So it's a good reminder for you saying that to me because, you know, I need to continue doing that. You know, as you get older, you kind of get a little bit more set in your ways and you just don't do things that you, you quote unquote know that you don't want to do.
1: Oh, but, yeah. We, my you know. Lindsay and I, we are so lame now. She, she probably wouldn't <laughs> like that I just said that, we, but we are. We're so lame. You know, we don't, you know, people like, you guys want to come out? We're like, not really.
0: Not really. <laughs> like,
1: exactly. I'd really rather catch up on Netflix right now. Right. I really it's hard would. to do
0: that. And, you know, yeah. I think I do surround myself with partly with people who are like minded in that way. Um. I tend to have my, at least my closest, some of my closer friends are that way as well. But, so I've never thought about it that way, but you're kind of making me, you know, look into <laughs> my circle mm-hmm. and, uh, my friend family and just say, you know, a lot of them are very much adventurous more so than myself a lot of times, uh, and open to new oh. experiences. So that's pretty cool.
1: I really, really enjoyed getting to spend some more time chatting with you. I would love to uh, whether it's recorded or not, continue to spend time some some of time as, as we continue on chatting because I, I really enjoyed uh, working together and I'm glad we've been able to stay in touch. Absolutely. Before you head to the mall in hopes of meeting your future spouse, here are some takeaways from this episode. First, words matter. Definitions literally set the boundaries of our world. Zakia wanted a more hands-on leadership role, so she negotiated for a specific job title just because it implied that kind of work. Second, in social situations, professional and personal, it's just as important to know when to leave people alone as it is to know how to talk to them. Stay present to pick up the clues. This intuition is a learned skill, not a born trait. And finally, getting out of your comfort zone is always a good idea. Stretching leads to new experiences, and you never know what's around the corner. If you want to be notified every time a new episode drops, plus uncut episodes and bonuses, head to brianmillerspeaks.com and click podcast. From there, you can also subscribe to my weekly blog and get a bunch of free resources just for signing up. I'm Brian Miller. This is One New Person, and we'll see you next time.